Hello, I'm David Sparks, and joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard, and this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your work for you. Hello, Rose. Hi, David. How are you today? I am great, and I'm so excited. We've got a guest that was on my list for this show as soon as we started the show. Welcome, Brett Terpstra. Hey, great to be here. So, Rose, before we get started, we've got a couple events we should share. Yeah. Did you know about this thing called WWDC? Uh, Have you heard of it before? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the Apple Annual Developers Conference. We're we're pulling you out of Europe and bringing you back to California. So yeah, yeah, somebody made me buy a plane ticket again. Yeah, you know that you're going to be on my sofa bed for a couple days. So oh, yeah. we're going to do two meetups. We're going to do one in Orange County before we head up to San Jose. Uh, that's either going to be on Friday, May thirty first, or Saturday, June first. Uh, either one would probably be in the early evening. And it's going to be at a location somewhere very near the Irvine Spectrum or the El Toro Y. If you're from Southern California, we we determine all locations by freeways. Um, we don't know the exact date and location yet, but we're putting a um, – well, what service are we going to use for this, Rose? We're recording this. I guess we'll use a – We are going to be using Eventbrite for this, okay, another free so- Eventbrite rent. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a free event. There's no ticket. It's just we're going to uh, find some place with restaurants and probably outdoor seating and just do a Southern California meetup. It's going to be fun. Rose and I will be there and whoever else wants to come. Uh, like I said, May 31st or June 1st. But if you're interested in that, please go sign up uh, and uh, and we'll get you further information as we have it. Yes. And uh, as I mentioned, this will be available through Eventbrite. So please, uh, it's it's not that you need to pay for a ticket, but if you can sign up uh, for a ticket so that we know approximately how many people are coming and so that we've got a way to contact you just in case anything does change, that would be really good. And uh, speaking of events, yeah, let's do one at WWDC. Uh, how about Tuesday lunchtime, David? I think that's great. I'm going to be hanging out with you. Well, there we go. And uh, we're going to be inviting some people as well. I know that there are some people from the Omni Group who are planning on visiting San Jose, and they have said that they would be very interested in coming. And I'm sure there are plenty of people in the audience who possibly live around the San Jose area or who may be attending WWDC either in a developer capacity or like David and myself in a nerd capacity. And uh, you are all very welcome. Yes, so that's going to be... Tuesday, June 4? Yes. Uh, at lunchtime. And the same thing, we'll have an Eventbrite. Um, there's no ticket cost, but we want you to sign up for a ticket so we can keep track of where, uh, let you know where we're going to have it, uh, the exact time, and any other details as we figure them out. Yes. And so please sign up. And we are looking forward to meeting some more of our listeners and perhaps seeing some of the listeners that we met in January as well. Yeah, I'm so having, glad to have you here, Brett. Uh, Brett is on the Mac Power Users. He's like the Alec Baldwin. He just keeps showing up. <laughs> and uh, so much so that we have to drink every time we mention his name. But, boy, if there's anybody that is a uh, custom automator's guest, it's you, Brett. You do some crazy great stuff on your Mac. And we're going to focus on the Mac today, but we're going to talk a little bit about iOS, too. Uh, but I, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit about how you're automating these days. So why did it take so long to have me on? Uh, we've been saving you. You're, yeah, you've been I mean, in a little cupboard waiting for us. <laughs> we had to we had to make the show worthy of you. You uh-huh. know, I mean, let's be honest. We we're just getting started. We want to make sure we got the audience and <laughs> right the right vibe. Fair enough. And then I know you know I know your rules. Like you know the the people listening don't realize it, but before Brent would agree, I had to send them a bag of only green M and M's. Right, my writers are crazy. 
I had to take all the brown ones out and eat them. And then, um, yeah, I, and so I sent the M&Ms to Brett. Man, it's a pain. Man, it's a pain. I mean, I think but, there was a sticker bribe involved as well, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But anyway, we got you here, and that's all that's important. Um, and uh, so, so Brett is over at uh, brettterpster.com. Uh, he's the developer of multiple applications, maybe even a new one about the time the show <laughs> releases we can talk about, but I, I don't know if we can talk about that yet, but Brett has something. NDA for right now. Okay. He's got something very cool he's working on, so I'm going to tease you with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the thing I've always loved about Brett is he freely shared, he's into automation, he calls himself the mad scientist of the Mac, and it's totally true. And he shares this stuff. Um, one of my favorite things that you've ever done, Brett, is those markdown tools that you do that you can, you know, just add to your Mac and then you can have the services pack. Yeah. You know, it's great. So like you can go to his website today. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you download these markdown services and you can select any text or in a service and and perform markdown on it. It's great. Great stuff. But anyway, um, the, uh, we wanted to talk to you about automation, Brett. And I guess the first question is how did you become a mad scientist? Well, I mean, I think automation, like building Rube Goldberg machines as a kid, like was always my favorite thing to do. So building these systems to do something and often making them more complicated than necessary, it's kind of in my blood. Um, My first real computer-based automation was uh, I had, I, I was still a PC guy back in the late 90s and uh, I got an app called Homeseer and a bunch of X10 home automation devices. And I built the home home of the future. Uh, I used a couple of Audrey's. Do you remember the Audrey? Yeah. I do not know what an Audrey is. What is an Audrey? It was a little three com. It, it, it's claim to fame was it was in the background of an episode of Friends once. But it's a little uh, single screen device that looks super like it's right out of the jets and it's all curvy and it had internet access uh email i don't even remember what else but basically uh and it was a touch screen with a little stylus that stuck in the top and when you had a new message that stylus would flash green it was clear acrylic and it would flash green at the base it was it was just super futuristic looking but you could hack them to run flash apps and then create your own user interfaces. So I had an L cars like Star Trek interface on hanging in had two of them hanging in the hallways and you could walk up to them and press buttons to turn on and off all the lights in the house. I had it set up so that when I closed the bathroom door, if it was before 7 a.m., it would at a low volume, read me my news, uh, turn on a shower playlist for me. And like this is all before any real other options existed so it was and i hacked i lived in a house that had one of those old uh like late 80s intercom systems yeah and i hacked that so that it was a microphone to my computer and i could use voice recognition through the intercom to have it do things did you know that x x10 started in 1978 i didn't realize it was that old that is the year i was born (laughs) wow yeah. So that's where it all started. And then I got to the Mac and, and things took off from there. You know, you've got interest an interesting background because Brett is a designer by training. Um, 
What was your degree in again? I don't want to screw this up. Interactive multimedia. Yeah. I, I got a very diverse, I, I transferred into art school with basically all of my liberal arts credits filled. So I got to take core classes from a bunch of different disciplines from 3D and sculpture to 2D design to figure drawing. Yeah. I have a, a wide art background. <laughs> But the, the the thing that makes that interesting is you combine that with highly uh, refined technical skills in terms of uh, computer programming, and uh, so much so you know that you know you've got all these successful applications, and you, you, so you're combining those things, which I think is always very interesting. But at the same time, uh, like we had John Syracuse on last month, and you know his thing was he's a programmer, so you know traditional automation stuff really doesn't light him up that much because he's used to just, you know, going into the system and making changes like a right. programmer would. But, but you're kind of like, you're kind of down more my vein in the way that you, you go through and you're using the tools, the automation tools to put this stuff together. Yeah. Well, and I do a lot, a lot of my automation is hard to share because it is system level. Like yeah. It requires digging into terminal. And then I use more foreground apps like, you know, Keyboard Maestro to trigger shell scripts and things that are doing things that most of those automa automation apps can't. Yeah. And that's been my big block with getting into iOS automation is the front end is pretty well fleshed out with shortcuts now. Yeah. Uh, knee workflow. But you can't get to the real, the easy way to do things the way I always have on the Mac. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a terminal in, on your your phone and your iPad, and or really any truly powerful scripting language. Yeah, I say, or and you don't have that base level Apple event that you have on the Mac that that allows you to once you can address that stuff, you can do almost anything. Yeah. So once you got started on the Mac, where you know where did you where did you go? So as I was dipping my toes into the Mac, I didn't, I wasn't. I didn't consider myself a programmer at the time. I, I got my first PC junior at the age of six and I'd been actually programming and all of my stuff in home seer was done in visual basic script. And yeah. like I, I, I was a programmer, but I didn't consider myself a programmer. I was, I got a Mac to when I opened a, a marketing firm and one of the first things, it was about the time that Twitter had become a thing. And so there was Twitter and Facebook, and then there were all of the uh, Twitter clones that went by the wayside as Twitter gained popularity. But I don't even remember the names of half of them, Jaiku, et cetera. Yeah. And so I was exploring social media and I wanted to be able to use them all, but not have to log into every site to say what I was doing. So I broke the DRY principles, <laughs> do not repeat yourself. And I wrote an app in Apple script called Mood Blast that would take one status update and send it to 12 different services. Now, had you had any experience with Apple script at that point? No, that was my my learning Apple script. Yeah, that that's not a small project to start with. No, that's... and there was a lot of do shell script involved. <laughs> yeah, if that works, right? That's yeah. what counts. Well, you almost had to to make uh, to make. Uh, HTTP post requests with various headers and, mm -hmm. um, and that morphed into an objective C bridged Apple script application. So I could put an interface on it and 
that was my first like real success in the world. My blog went from 10 hits a day to a thousand hits a day as I built up that audience for the stuff I was, I was making. Yeah. Then that was, I, I'm, I, I'm highly encouraged by public response. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for likes. So when I got positive feedback in comments and, and then moving on to writing for two and everything, uh, it just constantly drove me to not only automate, which I would do anyway, but to automate in ways that I could share and to learn uh, things like Apple Script that more people could easily grasp. People write me off and say, well, I want to learn Apple Script. What do I do? And, you know, I usually say, well, buy Sal Sigoyan's book because the guy is, he's the guy. But the, um, I think the real answer to that question is find a problem that you can solve with Apple Script. Exactly. And then make an Apple Script to solve the problem because uh, learning that stuff in the abstract doesn't, it just doesn't gel, at least for me. I have to try and be fixing something in order for me to really get it. Yeah, well, I, I need a, a problem to solve. And then it's easy for me to keep searching and digging until I find the way to solve it. And in the process, picking up all the tools. Though, of course, there are some things that you can't solve with Apple Script, which is something of a danger. I was there the other day trying to figure out how to turn a csv which was not a csv but a semicolon separated uh file into a particular format of xml with shortcuts and uh after a good half an hour i decided you know what i'm just gonna use python i was just gonna say <laughs> that's where you shell out to python <laughs> yeah so i i wrote a python script for it in the end because of course not everything can be solved in every language and sometimes you do make it a little bit more difficult for yourself to do it yeah. in other languages or nigh on impossible but that said apple script because it does do apple events is extremely powerful so there there are less things that apple script can't do compared to something like shortcuts powerful yet frustrating in its inconsistency <laughs> at least it's not javascript for automation on mac os uh i went to the conference that salsa goyan put on uh i forget what it was called command d yeah i went to command d i ended up speaking there uh last minute edition. <laughs> um, but uh, his major focus was on JavaScript for automation and wow. especially on Omni's new kind of interface language that they had yeah. created. And it was uh, impressive, yet also when you apply the inconsistency of Apple Script to the less... Uh, natural language of javascript it can be a it can take me twice as long to write something in jxa as it can to write it in apple script yeah it, it depends because the, the the javascript built into mac os is supposed to be the replacement for apple script that is extremely weird in some cases and in some cases the javascript doesn't do what the equivalent apple script command does because it's missing a trigger or something to talk well, to something to, else to get the contents of a web page using just javascript you have to use Objective-C bridging and use those very verbose get contents of URL with encoding type methods. And it is, it's a mess. I, I, I don't, I don't love it. Yeah. And I just want to pull out of the weeds for a minute. So the JavaScript <laughs> that we're talking about is that the variant that the Omni group has made that allows you to automate their applications. And the mm -hmm. advantage of it is that it works across platform so where yeah. apple script only allows you to create something for the mac uh, this jxa allows you to create something for both 
the iOS and the Mac. So if you're working on both platforms, it's very helpful. Um, I think the really underlying problem is that doesn't need to come from Omni. It needs to come from Apple. And and right. I don't know if we ever will see something. I don't know if Apple cares enough to develop something like Apple Script across both platforms. Well, I hear they have this automation team working with the Siri people who are really, you know, into this kind of thing. So maybe, maybe the shortcuts guys will get their hands on this. Yeah, there was a, a lot of fear for everyone when Sal was removed from Apple. Yeah. Um, everyone assumed, oh, Apple just doesn't care about automation. But then with the acquisition of Workflow and their stunning ability not to ruin it, yeah, mm-hmm. my faith was restored, I think, at least for iOS. Well, well, not only have they not ruined it, they've improved it. I mean, Workflow had limitations that Siri mm-hmm. shortcuts do not, and, and that they've continued to release updates and system access. Yeah, no, shortcuts is amazing. I also think, though, that shortcuts is, you know, if we're looking at this stuff on a spectrum, shortcuts is never going to run as deep as Apple Script, and certainly not as deep as any sort of shell scripting can do. Mm, no, probably not. It's also part of, like, on a Mac, with the idea of a desktop with multiple applications running and communication between those applications being more of a central focus, bridging the more uh, app as desktop idea of ios it's a different concept that requires a different approach and i think shortcuts is really tackling that in a smart way and i see the more more apps that add shortcut actions the more interactivity we'll be able to do without the hassle of of javascript yeah and and i think that's the path apple sees too i mean i i we were just talking a few episodes ago about, you know, what's going to happen next. And one idea being floated is what if Siri shortcuts finds its way to the Mac and that would be great, but it's definitely not going to be as powerful as what like you're doing on the Mac with your scripting. It's just not going to go as deep in my opinion. So can we skip ahead to that question? What's next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Honestly, automator is, it's powerful, but limited. And if they added simple things like uh, if then and for loops, the way that you can do in shortcuts, if they brought even some of the the workflow features from shortcuts to the Mac, Automator could be like the answer, and that to me is what's next. Automator's always felt to me like you know everything like when someone's building a muscle car. I feel like there's the frame and a really big engine block, but it's missing a lot of parts. Like it never got the rest of it built. No catalytic converter. Like what are you supposed to do? (laughs) Well, not even doors. I mean, it's got some like application, but um, like involvement, like you can create an email and there's limited things you can do. But when you compare that to how deep and how wide Siri shortcuts runs on iOS, Automator should have been that. Well, and it it can be like any app could add actions to perform much deeper automation. And most apps ignore Automator completely. And those that do add it usually add it for just a couple of features of the app. Um, Have you heard of Retrobatch? No. No. It's a new app from Gus Mueller, uh, the guy who makes Acorn flying. Oh, is that? That's the image processing yeah. app. Right? It's yeah. a node-based image processing app where you can uh, 
instead of just a linear list of automations, uh, a la automator, you have like a, a concept map type thing where you drag nodes onto a workspace and then connections between them and images can be passed in like three different directions at once and have different processing and output different file names. And then uh, you can incorporate those into Automator. Automator can trigger. So you can have a, an Automator script that, say, grabs an image from the web, runs it through a retro batch to resize and watermark it, and then saves it to a specific place or even, you know, multiple places. Um, that kind of thing, apps that allow that kind of extensibility and extension of Automator excite me a lot. Yeah, totally. That's that's great. I mean, just looking at Automator, for example, the new calendar event, compare that with shortcuts. I can't even use a variable to set the start and the end right. time of the new calendar event in Automator. So that, you know, just being able to amp that up would probably significantly increase the ability of people to use it because otherwise how do i ask for a date every time it's going to create an event every single time at the exact time that's in there otherwise i'm going to have to modify this every time and that's right. not the thing that people that's want to do that's not really called automation at that point exactly so. <laughs> that's very manual <laughs> yeah retro branch looking at i'm looking at it literally right next to my audio hijack pro <laughs> it looks looks very similar <laughs> you know the uh well that's a good sign it's kind I like of a, audio it's got it's got like a workflow where you pull units and it's it's cool i'm gonna definitely give it a shot i have a, a retro batch droplet that i can create using a template in my image editor in affinity photo i can create a header image for a blog post run it through this droplet and it will resize for all social media sizes and save with the file names that my HD access file uses to serve images to Twitter and Facebook and do that all with basically I design once and drop out and get five different images ready to go to my blog. That is amazing. And I did not realize, obviously, in hindsight, it's, it's obvious to me, um, but the HD access file for people not familiar is uh, the thing that uh, your server uses to tell things what you can get at and how to get at them. And uh, I've never thought of using it to tell services to get different images. That's genius. Right. Well, I use a, I use a consistent file name scheme that HD Access can match and then fall yeah. back. If I don't provide like a Twitter size image, it'll fall back to the Facebook one and continually until it gets back. If I only provide one header image, it'll figure out how to use that for everything. This is genius. Please, please, please. If you can put, like, or at least send me the documents and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll incorporate I, that into a post. I've write about it, but... Yeah, well, now you have a challenge to do so by the time this episode releases. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah, well, you know, but this this is automation. I mean, when you look at Retrobatch, yeah. what it does, it allows you to drop an image in one end of an app and it spits out multiple images out the other end that are formatted and doing a bunch of things that we used to do by hand. Um, and there's nothing, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of what I call software-based automation because I don't have a lot of time to make this stuff work. And I do find that when I use software-based automation, in a lot of ways, it, it's more consistent. It doesn't break as often, but this is something where you, you download this app, you set it up. And if you're consistently uh, making changes to images, th the problem just got solved for you. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
we can probably all hold our hands up and admit that we think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. Because who would want your data, right? Well, the bad news is stealing data from people like you and me using public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest ways for hackers to make money. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, your passwords and credit card numbers are vulnerable. But there's something you can do to protect yourself from cyber criminals, and that is to start using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It accepts your data and hides your public IP address with easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just one click. It's super simple. You open the app, you push one button, you're secure. Then you're free to safely surf or use public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It even comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I'm a believer in VPN services, and I've been using ExpressVPN now for several months and have been really happy with the service. Every time I go to Starbucks or get in an airport, anytime, frankly, I want to be anywhere outside of my home, I use ExpressVPN to secure my connection. Just the other day, I was at a local university, and I saw on the Wi-Fi list, free university Wi-Fi. I asked a friend who was a teacher there, and he said, no, that's not the actual university Wi-Fi. I can only imagine what kind of data was being stolen from the people that were logging into that quote-unquote free Wi-Fi. It wasn't a problem for me, though. I just turned on ExpressVPN and got back to work. Having an easy-to-use, secure VPN service gives you a great deal of peace of mind whenever you want to access the internet out in the wild. For less than $7 a month, you too can get that same ExpressVPN protection that I have. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. So go to expressvpn.com slash automators to learn more. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash automators. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash automators for three months free with a one-year package. Protect your internet today with ExpressVPN. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Automators and all of Relay FM. Uh, you know, you and I did a book together called yeah. 60 Mac Tips Volume 2. And I have found uses for it uh, when I was writing that book. I thought it was dumb, and then I did a bunch of stuff. And I use it mainly for um, uh, music. Yeah, we did that book. I found it intriguing. I uh, found some cool tricks to do. Just never made it a daily part. Like I love on iOS being able to assign a phrase to perform a shortcut. That to me is the best feature of shortcuts. Uh, Without that on the Mac, I just, I haven't found that much use for it. I'm very keyboard centric. Well, we kind of, we're kind of stuck because my experience, the Siri shortcuts triggered by the HomePod are very inconsistent, at least for me. Maybe it's my voice. I don't know, but I just... I can get them to work fine on the phone and they work on the HomePod like maybe 20% of the time, you know, uh, which is not enough to make it worth doing. Like it doesn't recognize it or it fails to run it. it, it I'll, I'll give the command and then it'll start playing Beyonce. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Was the know? command play Beyonce? No, the command oh. was like, turn <laughs> the lights on, you know. Oh. My, I, my I watch. use my HomePod for HomeKit and it's great. 
my watch has some issues like that, but it'll usually be, uh, I'll tap you when I'm ready. And then I'll wait, you know, 15 seconds for my light to come on. Yeah. That's the, that's the standard watch response. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's frustrating because like, um, the stuff works great. Like I've been playing with timers lately and, and I can set a timer with my phone using Siri voice commands. No problem. And then, I go to set it with the uh, HomePod, and it just either doesn't trigger or it sets a different timer. I don't know. There's something going on between the HomePod and the phone where it's just not consistent for me. That's frustrating. I think you may need to try resetting your HomePod, David, because, I mean, they don't even sell them in Austria, and I managed to get one. It works great. Granted, I speak to it in English because why would I speak in a second language uh, when I'm talking to one of my devices? Well, that that explains it. I only speak to my HomePod in Swahili, so that's probably oh, the issue. There, you there go. we go. There's but, your problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Occasionally, mine loses internet connection. You have to unplug it, wait five minutes, and plug it back in, and then it's perfectly happy again. Oh, technology. Oh, yes. But we love it anyway. I actually, at one point, tried to automate. Uh, I had a a script that would run and use ping to determine whether the internet was connected or not. And if the internet was down for a 30 second period, it would uh, trigger a power supply that would reboot the router and the modem. Yeah. Didn't work great because I need my, my modem to come up before the router connects. And then I got into sequencing and I realized this is more complicated than just unplugging it. Yeah, years ago on um, Mac Power Users, Katie Floyd was having a problem with her router setup. And so she put a, um, I forget which brand she's, but she's one of those remote plugs on yeah. on the uh, hub. And she would just literally from wherever she was sitting, just turn off the power to it and then cycle it back on. Yeah, I know you're supposed to turn it off, then turn on first the uh, cable modem and then the, you know, you're supposed to do it in a yeah. certain order, but I don't think it matters. I, I have found that on occasion it matters. Oh, does it? No. Well, for her, I guess she didn't think it mattered. <laughs> in my case, about it does not matter. assigning IP addresses too early. Sorry, what? Yeah. Uh, well, in my case, it doesn't matter because it's an all-in-one. Uh, so ah. that, that there's an automation for, solution for for that Th- problem. That is Just perfect. buy an all-in-one. <laughs> then yeah. There you go. It'll do it by itself. So, Brett, what are you, what's on your mind lately in terms of automation? What are you working on these days? As of... Very recently, most of my automation has been uh, kind of along the lines of what we were talking about with the HD access file. Uh, Like I just made it so that if I include a link to an affiliate Amazon product, it automatically adds the disclaimer that Amazon requests to the bottom of my post. So I don't have to constantly be like, oh, I used an affiliate link. I better add the disclaimer. It just automates based on what I've already done things that you know I'm I'm going to do anyway they're not things I can't automate but then based on those things automation happens and then my like tag filing system do you want to hear about my flick button yes I would love to hear about it do you know do you know what a flick button is I do I'm guessing David might not I do not it's a little single button about uh maybe an inch and a quarter in diameter and you can stick them to surfaces and then they have a press a long press and a double click and you can using an ios app uh, then define what it does and if you get the hub you can have it 
automate without the need for your phone to be present. And so under the lip of my desk, when I sit down in my chair, uh, a single press turns the lights on and off. And a long press is my boss key. A long press actually triggers a script on my computer that shuts down my most distracting apps. Um, I'm ADD. I can easily go down rabbit holes that have nothing to do with what I'm working on. Uh, so I don't have a boss that I need to hide anything from. I just need to hide stuff from myself. So when I find myself getting distracted, I can press and hold that button and all of my social media apps will quit. My news app will quit. Uh, web pages open to like social media sites will quit. Um, so that's my, uh, I think that's my latest somewhat humorous, but actually very useful automation. That is genius. Flick is F-L-I-C. Correct. Yeah, this looks like it's something that must have started life as like a Kickstarter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And most of my most of my switches are from backing a quick Kickstarter project. If I remember correctly, this has Zapier integration as well. Yes. Um, which is pretty awesome. I have some Logitech pop buttons, which like your flick button, do the the one press, the two press, or the press and hold. Uh, but those are for HomeKit or Philips Hue and stuff well, like that. And this, the, these integrate directly with like the Hue app and stuff too. Yeah, that's I nice. I just make it complicated. Why not? Ah, this is tempting, man. I'm looking at it yeah. right now. So you get three of them. They're not cheap though. It's $85 for three of them. I'll have to think about it. But but so now you it, with the app, what can you, tra- I understand you can go directly to your um, your internet of things home. It can ping a URL, which is how I do most of my automation that it can't do. I create little APIs, little local web servers that I can ping to trigger things. Let's open the app, though. I can tell you real quick. Maybe not real quick. (laughs) It's okay. I'm currently searching on Amazon to see if they have them on Amazon Germany. so. So it can control Chromecast, Harmony Hub, IFTTT, uh, Ikea trad free lights, yeah. uh, internet request, IR blaster, uh, which is flick makes an IR blaster too, that you can use to turn appliance, uh, like your TV on and off. Yeah. Sure. Microsoft flow, LIFX, Philips hue, play a sound, Slack post, Sonos, Spotify, Zapier, VLC, Wemo, wink. Yeah. They've got all, all the major suspects covered. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you so you're just using one, and it's uh, you've got those two setups. That's cool. Well, I have five around the house, but that, oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's you the one them? that's in my office. Uh, one of them just turns on the whole entertainment system. It's it's mounted underneath the lip of the dining room yeah. coffee table. So using the IR blaster to do that. I mean, you still got to yeah. get a TV turn on. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Uh, I, I I use the IR, and I use a a Harmony, uh, whatever their hub is called. I think it's the Logitech Harmony Hub or something along those lines. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, everybody who's interested in automation eventually gets to the point where they want to automate their TV, right? And, <laughs> and it's, it's hard the first thing a lot of people want to. Yeah, it's hard because you, know, you have the different inputs and they're using old technology, you know, really. I mean, yeah. uh, to to get them working. So is that is that so? You're solving that problem with the Harmony remote and the flick buttons? Yeah. 
I like the Harmony remote. I have programmed to control my soundbar, my TV, and, and my Apple TV, uh, and the Roku. So I basically I can narrow it down to just one remote. I keep the the Apple TV remote out because the touchpad is basically how you navigate. Um, yeah. But for turning power on, off, uh, changing inputs, volume, all done through the Harmony remote. Yeah, I, you know, I forget how much, Brett, I mean, from your very roots with the X10, you have always been a guy that liked to not only automate, like, pixels moving around on your screen, but just automate everything in your life. You know? I'm enamored with automation. Now, I remember when you were telling me, I forget the name of the device, there was that device that sold for a while where you could wave your hands in front of your computer and it yeah. could spatially be aware of the your leap. hands. Leap, leap motion, yes. yeah. Are you still doing that? Because you had yeah. connected automation to that as well. Yeah, I basically that performs mostly gestures for me, yeah. like uh, like poking three fingers forwards, plays and pause music, and turning like there's a dial in front of me will actually change the volume. And I can flip pages when I'm reading in a newsreader. I can skip to the next story by just swiping left. And yeah, I do a lot with that. This is kind of like a touch bar on steroids because you don't need the touch bar. Right, you don't need to actually touch it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, the thing, though, that I was just looking at it and like, then I got to have a cable across my desk and this hardware on my desk at all times. That's the thing that turned me off. I got to admit your desk must be much neater than mine because I I have to actually move things to make sure it's clear. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I'm glad you're still using it. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Uh, Going back to Siri, uh, do you ever use Siri on the Apple TV? Yes, all the time. Yeah, I find it's great for dictating in searches and stuff. Yes, for searches. And my absolute favorite feature is, what did she just say? Mm-hmm. And it rewinds yeah. 30 seconds, turns on subtitles for you for 30 seconds. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, I know. It's great. And it's like when I have family members that I watch them entering by hand a search. <laughs> oh, you know, ouch. And it's the worst search ever. because That you on-screen like, keyboard is the worst. Yeah. And it just makes me crazy that they don't want to press them even though i do it in front of them all of the time and then i, I stop my girlfriend regularly just say it just say it stop typing I, I do think it's on apple a little bit because you have to have the um you have to have the cursor in the right place to make the right. search work um i feel like the operating system could be fixed to say look if you're in youtube and you hold the microphone button down just go to the search and type in it you know it's not but that i hard. like yeah. being in youtube and just saying open Netflix and yeah. wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, it could, it could, because Siri knows what you're saying, right? Siri has to know what you're saying to be able to dictate something or execute the command. And so if you say something like open Netflix or turn the volume up, then, you know, obviously Siri should do that. But if it, if you say something and it goes, uh, I'll put this in the search of the application that I'm currently in. That would be a, a smart solution from Apple. And that would be a great automation for us so that we can be even lazier, which everybody loves to be. You know, you can specify apps to search now. You can, you can say search for this in YouTube or uh. search Netflix for this. I, I discovered it. I You know how when you hit the mic button and then let go, it'll just start scrolling things you can say. Ah. I noticed very recently that now you can say search for blank in YouTube and it'll do a YouTube search. And does this work if you're inside the YouTube application? Yes, but you have to say in YouTube. 
Well, I think that's a reasonable trade-off. Yeah. No, that works. Right. That works. I, I wish that's got to be new, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just and I wish Netflix would get on that train. I don't know why they're not. With searchability. Yeah. Yeah. I've got this picture in my head of Brett's kitchen, and there's like string attached to the toaster, and like <laughs> the bread pops out, and then it like goes through some contraption that puts butter on it. Right? If I lived by myself, that would be entirely uh, believable. So this is the machine in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, then, essentially, the breakfast making machine. <laughs> yes. Do you ever see, uh, what was that? Um, I'm, the character's name was Data, and the, 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 t- the, the movie was The Goonies. Did you ever see The Goonies, Brett? Yeah. I think, I think you're, you're Data growing up. I, I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, he would open his jacket and it had a little fist that would punch out from his belt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, the only difference is yours would yours would work on Bluetooth, right? <laughs> on voice commands. Yeah. You, you know, another thing that you do, I want to talk about to our automators audience. Um, uh, but let, in fact, I'm going to tease that. We're going to be right back. I got something I need to talk to you about. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Creative Next. Creative Next is a new podcast focusing on future-proofing creatives from AI automation. They believe the future of automation is about people like you and me, because work automation isn't all about industrial robots. Automation driven by artificial intelligence is already doing remarkable things, like impacting research, writing, marketing, art, design, engineering, and entrepreneurship. And this kind of thing is likely to accelerate in the years to come. So this is what Creative Next covers. The first season is about learning, learning about AI and automation, understanding how machines work with early automation successes, and how they'll look at how people may learn in the future. Creative Next is available for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts. Plus, they have a companion article series on Medium that's in partnership with Towards Data Science. Check it all out at creativenext.org automators. That's creativenext.org slash automators. Our thanks to Creative Next for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Brett, keyboard bindings. Okay. <laughs> this is the only podcast where we can get really excited to talk about keyboard bindings. But um, for those listening, uh, Brett has run, wrote a series of posts over the years about re basically telling his keyboard to do different things. And like the the one that really got my attention was the caps lock key. You know who uses the caps lock key for caps lock, right? So Brett came On up purpose, with the idea anyway. Yeah, exactly. So so Brett came up with the idea. Why don't we um you know make that something that's more useful and and to do that is not simple. You you went down. It's it's almost a system level thing. Explain for us how you are re um reimagining your keyboard and, and uh, telling the keys to do different things than they're supposed to do. Cause it's, it's actually kind of an interesting automation. All right. So first off, it was not my, my idea. Okay. <laughs> I got the idea from another blog post, which I've long forgotten, but space cadet, I could find the original post for you. I just kind of took it and I ran with it. It uses an app called carabiner and carabiner is a way to, program at as close to the keyboard between the system and the keyboard as you can get without actually having a programmable keyboard. Yeah. Uh, so it runs as a kernel extension and as your keystrokes come in, it changes the mapping so that as far as the system is concerned, you've hit 
whatever key you told it you hit. So you can change the caps lock key, you disable it in system preferences, and then you can change it. And mine sends uh, control option command shift all at once. So then I can use that what would be a very awkward keyboard hotkey combination. Um, I can now use and trigger combinations with the rest of the keyboard. So uh, like for me, holding down hyperkey turns H, J, K, and L into arrow keys for me. Yeah. Just as an example. And it basically anything you can then program with keyboard maestro or better touch tool, you can then assign to keys with abandon because it's you're not going to overwrite any other shortcuts with them. And then if you just tap it once, it's an escape key. Perfect. And and nobody is crazy enough to use a shortcut modifier shift control option command. I mean, it's just like right. you got to tie your fingers in a pretzel to do that. But now you've been able to to turn that into one key. And the part that I think for listeners, I want you to go check out the blog post that this is at all interest to you. It's a little intimidating when you set it up because you're right, you're jumping into the system right at the lowest level as soon as those key that key um, entry comes in. And uh, But Brett's really explained it nicely on his blog post. It's not difficult to do. This is great because I have several uh, keyboard shortcuts which I use command, uh, option, and uh, control with just because... I don't trigger them any other way. Right. Uh, so being able to add uh, add the shift key, that's going to take me up a level. And only have to use one key. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's handy. And then I combine that with um, my default key bindings. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the key binding system in macOS. It's been there since the beginning. Let's go down that uh, road together. Can... <laughs> okay. So tell us about it. <laughs> It's been there. It's always it's always been a part of, of Mac OS and things like uh, control A and control E for moving the cursor are like the Emacs key bindings. So there's that whole series. Um, but then you can modify keystrokes. And uh, I mean, at a at a simple level, you could make it so that when your coworker hits the key E, e key when they type an E, it types out a whole string about, you know, something rude. Uh, mm -hmm. as a practical joke, but you can then also use it with modifier keys. So I can have um, control command W start a sequence. And then if I hit I, it inserts a markdown image using my clipboard. Or if I hit control command W um, uh, ID, it'll actually, with a dropler shortened link, if you add a plus at the end of it, it's a direct link. So it'll insert an image tag with the clipboard with a plus at the end of it. So I can insert a markdown tag for a dropler image. That is very smart. I'm pausing for applause. But yes. I have detailed these uh, fairly extensively. And I have a whole, uh, a huge collection of examples uh, that are on GitHub and linked from my blog. I can give you the link to that. But that kind of key binding and key mapping is also very it's not uh like kernel level but it's base system level and it works across all applications i think that's really smart <laughs> it's just you know it, i am literally adding this link to the show notes right now so if you are at all interested in this check it out and if you're not interested check it out anyway because you'll probably see some things in there that make you go oh i could use this like being able to change a word to uppercase and lowercase and title case 
mm-hmm. or title casing an entire paragraph. Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that actually I need. Why am I not using this? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you guys know that Better Touch Tool can do sequences now? No. So you can you can have series of keys trigger. Uh, so like basically, like I was talking about with Control Command W and then another key. Yeah. Uh, you can do that in better touch tools. So you can have one sequence, one keystroke start a sequence, but then different uh, characters complete it so that you can group. Like your like QWERT keys can have completely different meanings depending on what you hit before them, uh, which is great because I just got this uh, Kibo from Pomoni. Uh, it's a 12 key external keypad with glowing keys completely customizable runs on a raspberry pi and with those 12 keys i can have hundreds of shortcuts so like if i hit any of the bottom three keys then it changes what what's going to happen when i hit the remaining nine keys so i have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff okay and are you triggering that through key bindings are you doing that through um better touch tool better touch tool. Uh, like I have, I have the keyboard itself set up to just send uh, function 13 through like what? 21. Yeah. Uh, keys, uh, which exists, but no keyboard has them. So it sends those. And then I can just use uh, better touch tool to do whatever I want with them. Yeah. But you say now Kibo is a, is a, a keyboard through a raspberry Pi. Yeah. Wouldn't just any external like gaming keyboard or keypad work for the same thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so let's make it easier for listeners. You don't have to go set up a Raspberry Pi to do this. You can go on Amazon and buy any, <laughs> any really tinky, right? <laughs> or or yeah. you could even like if you've got an extended keyboard, you could attach it to the number pad keys. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, something people don't realize is Better Touch Tool has... um. Again, one of the, the the most remarkable automation tools out there for the Mac. Um, but the developer has got to that inflection point where he can now work on this full time. You know, there's enough people uh, paying to support him that he can make it better. Well, and he finally started charging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so that's really great because now we're getting so like, I didn't know that feature was added. But just the other day, someone was telling me, well, I've got the touch bar and I hate it and there's nothing good about it. I said, go download better touch tool. If you have a touch bar mm-hmm. on your laptop, you can put stuff on there like the time or whatever, you know, just pieces of data that are important to you are just going to show up there. And I feel like better touch tool is like, I mean, it'll never get Sherlocked because it's too nerdy, but man, how yeah. come Apple didn't even think about that stuff when they shipped the, you know, this touch bar. But anyway, well, and all the way back to its original intention with the trackpad. Mm-hmm. Like I am so used to having better touch tool so that when I hold down my first finger and my ring finger and then tap my middle finger in between, it refreshes my web page. Yeah. Like I don't even think about those gestures anymore. They just become so ingrained. I, I would cry if better touch tool stopped working. Or, or when you sit down at a Mac, I had the same thing. I've got, it's like playing the piano when I sit and use my, my touchpad. I've got so many different better touch tool things going on. And I sat down at my wife's computer and I just, I, I try to do my, my piano moves, play my chords, right? Nothing works. I'm like, what the heck's wrong with this computer, right? <laughs> you just get, you get used to yep. it. Um, 
But yeah. Oh, and once you get used to a hyper key and you're on someone else's computer and it really is just a caps lock key, that'll mess you up constantly. Yeah. But I mean, so with Better Touch Tool, it works with the magic mouse, trackpads, keyboards. Um, I think it works with that that hand wavy thing, the leap thing, the motion thing. Yeah, it yeah, does. It works totally. with the touch bar. That's ha- ha- all of my automation with that is through Better Touch yeah. Tool. Yeah, oh, man. You know, that is a, um, if you're listening and you haven't tried Better Touch Tool, just download it. It, it is such a great application for people who want to make more out of automation. And what Brett was talking about earlier is, uh, you can make custom touches on the trackpad that, I mean, there's almost no end of how obscure they can get. And, or you can make really simple ones like force press on the lower left corner on mine takes the current window and puts it on the left side of the screen. It's just a simple little thing, but yeah, I use it, you know, what, a hundred times a day. I don't know. Yeah. Mine does. If I tap a sequence from pinky to ring uh, front to index finger. So like kind of right to left, that'll move the window to half screen on the left side. And you probably do the opposite for the other. Yeah. And if I go one, two, four, three, it'll center the window. So, uh, automators, listeners, if we get you doing the uh, the the key bindings and better touch tool, you're going to completely change the way you use your Mac. All, and we should mention if anybody uh, has setup and they haven't installed better touch tool, it's part of setup now as well. Yeah. So you can get it through there. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of people probably already got it, and they 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 don't know what they're missing, or they didn't know <laughs> what they were missing until this episode. Brett, um, sh- share a couple more of your favorite trackpad um, movements and gestures with Better Touch Tool. Sure. I have it so that if I hold down the three fingers other than my index finger and then swipe my index finger from the outside of the trackpad to the inside. So that sounds like a complex move, but it's not. Um, you're basically three fingers stationary and then swipe in. That will, wherever the cursor is at the time, it will display the menu bar menu at that point. So I don't have to go up to the top of the screen and dig through menus. I can just swipe and open the menu bar menus as like a little pop-up from where my cursor is at the time. Um, Refreshing web pages. When I'm web browsing, if I hold down three fingers and tap the fourth finger to either the left or right, it'll switch tabs. And if I, uh, let's see. Oh, and then swiping left and right with three fingers is history, forward and back. Yeah, I do tabs with the swipes that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's always a pain when you're in Safari or even Chrome and you have another tab you want to get to. And using these gestures, it's so much better than trying to find a touch target with your mouse and clicking. It's not even close. Uh, And then you can have different, uh, different actions happen, whether you're, uh, cursor is over the menu bar or the dock. So like if I do a three finger swipe down in like most places, it doesn't do much, but if I'm over the menu bar at the time, it'll open my terminal visor. And these are the, um, I, I presume you're using actions, uh, within better touch tool for some of this. Yeah, correct. Um, uh, in that case, it's sending just the keystroke, the hotkey that I have assigned to the visor. But, uh, like for turning my office lights on with a with a key swipe or a finger swipe uh, that executes terminal commands that communicate with my uh, Indigo instance. 
I could go on. I have a whole page here I'm looking at, but. <laughs> well, these are absolutely genius. I have, because, I mean, I have Better Touch so installed and I've got it doing a lot of things. And if I if I have a new Mac, like I recently got a new MacBook Air, uh, and I didn't have Better Touch so installed to start with, and I kept tapping on things with three fingers. Yep. And nothing was happening. And this was very confusing. And I was like, ah, I'm missing better touch tool because I use three finger tap as a middle click, which in Chrome, Safari, Firefox will open uh, a link in a new tab. Um, and yep. it's a very basic one. Do you, do you use pop clip? Yeah. I do not. But I know that you have a whole series of actions for pop clip. I do. But what I'm going to say, though, is actually still better touch tool because I can stay on topic. Um <laughs> Uh, David, when you, uh, does it ever fail to bring up the pop clip window after you've selected well, text sure, because, or you've selected text with the keyboard? Exactly. If you select text with the keyboard, pop clip doesn't activate. So that's a pain. So you can add, I, mine is a tip tap middle and you can have it run an Apple script to launch pop clip. So when I've selected text and for whatever reason, the pop clip window hasn't come up, I can just tip tap on my uh, keypad or on my trackpad and bring up pop clip. It's a way to force pop clip open. Nice. That is genius. I'm going to have to get a trackpad for my work machine now because I, <laughs> at, at work I use a Logitech MS Master 2S. I have no idea what it's called. I'm using a very fancy mouse. It's got a lot of buttons on it. Uh, but it's also really nicely shaped so my, my hands don't hurt at the end of the day. Sure. Uh, but I'm now probably going to have to have a trackpad on my desk as well. There is so much more you can do with a trackpad than any fancy mouse if you use better touch. And trackpads don't hurt my wrist. Mm. All mice seem to, except for vertical mice. Well, this isn't quite a vertical mouse. It is, like, I think it's called a gaming mouse. I have no idea. But it is a very comfortable mouse for me to use. Uh, there is one button on it that I can't use because otherwise my thumb will absolutely kill me after Just like an hour. <laughs> yeah. um, but apart from that, it, it's, it's a great mouse. But I may have to get myself a trackpad. So... I agree. Yeah. I use a trackpad like the vast majority of the time, not at my desk. It's just at my desk because my, my laptop's on a riser. Uh, so <laughs> using a trackpad is then hand floating, not very comfortable. Right. Very unergonomic. Better touch tool works with a magic mouse. I don't feel that it's nearly as powerful though. I mean, it, you need the space to, you know, you got to be yeah. able to put four fingers on it and it, once you accept that you can do like those four finger touches and all the varieties of them, then it suddenly just opens things up. And I think the answer to it, if you're trying this stuff out, is every time you get annoyed that you're using your mouse, yeah, you know, like every time you have to slow down and focus to get the mouse pointer exactly where you want it, just ask yourself if this is something you can't just um, automate with a better touch tool gesture. Because there, there are so many gestures, you know, three-finger gestures, four-finger gestures, two-finger gestures, swiping. I mean, it's just crazy how much you can do with it. So you will not run out of um, canvas. Mm-mm. It can even do the Siri remote. Yes. Yeah, I, I never, I've never used that. I know that's an option that it has. Like you can use I haven't the, either. I only have one Siri remote, and it's for my TV, so. Yeah. Yeah, but, but no, what I love about Better Touch Tool, though, is you can also set this to only do things in specific applications or in mm-hmm. general do it, but not in this application, which is great if you want to create some stuff for just Photoshop, but you don't want the same thing to activate when you're using pages. Right. Um, you know, it's great. And so you can memorize these, you know, keyboard command or trackpad commands 
um, with your fingers and they'll do whatever it is that you need to do in whatever application you're in. So Awesome. Yeah. So good. Well, Brett, we uh, we made it through a full episode of the Automators. You, the only money you may end up costing me is a flick button, so I, <laughs> I'm going to call that a win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to be out one uh, iMac Pro trackpad because I think Space Gray is going to get dirty a lot less quickly than the standard white one. But uh, I I feel like I've got enough cheaply. So thank you. <laughs> and most of what I do is free to the public, so oh, we're yeah. we're we're all. Basically, not spending or making any money. Yeah, well, yeah. We're, well, we're having a good time, and and uh, I really like the stuff you've done. I mean, Brett, there's just so many different uh, little rabbit holes of automation over at your website, brettterpster.com, and I recommend everybody go check it out. We're gonna have a bunch of links in the show notes. Um, if you really want to do something interesting, I think this this keyboard stuff is is some of Brett's best work. I'd never even thought of it. And it's, you know, you take something that's sitting on all of our desks and just make it more useful. And that's why we all love Brett Terpstra. I love you too. Thank you. All right. Uh, We are the automators. Oh, uh, Brett, anywhere else we should point people other than brettterpstra.com? You can find me as TT Scoff everywhere on every social service. And then I do have two podcasts that are currently on hiatus, but I'll mention Overtired and Systematic because they may even be back up by the time this podcast is published. So, Yeah, and I, I'm a particular fan of Overtired with what you do with Christina Warren. Um, I think the two of you together are just a great combination for a podcast. And bring, bring us more, please. Working uh, on it. All right. Uh, we're the Automators. You can find us over on Relay.fm slash Automators. Uh, Rose, anything exciting going on in your life over your your blog these days? Uh, no, not not particularly exciting. Though, don't forget we do do a blog post to accompany every show, and that alternates between David's and my blogs. So make sure to check those out as well. All right, and we will have a lot of show notes this time, so you can go check out all this cool stuff Brett's been doing. Thank you to our sponsors, Creative Next and ExpressVPN. Hey, before we leave, we just wanted to also shout out that all three of us are going to be attending MaxDoc this July, and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. MaxDoc, in my mind, is the successor of Macworld. If you're a user, if you like power user kinds of things, you're going to love it. Head out to MaxDoc. And, and you're speaking out there this year, right? I am, and so is Rosemary. Yes. And David, we'll be recording episode 500 of Matt Power Users there live with Stephen Hackett. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. And there's just, it's just great. I, I went last year for the first time. Brett's been going for years and and uh, he's been telling me about it. So uh, it really is fun. And if you missed out on Macworld, you, you should check this out. It's, it's a great weekend uh, surrounded with a bunch of people that love nothing better than getting the most out of their technology. Yes. And there will be stickers. Just... FYI. (laughs) There shall be stickers. All right. We'll see you all next week. Or actually, we'll see you all in two weeks.